I'm going to open to John chapter 16. I guess we'll read a rather lengthy passage here just to begin with. We'll be focusing on a certain thought from this passage, but just to get some of the context there, we'll start in verse 16 and read down to verse 22. John 16, verse 16, the words of Jesus as He speaks to His disciples. He says there, A little while and you will not see Me. And again a little while and you will see Me because I go to the Father. Then some of His disciples said among themselves, What is this that He says to us? A little while and you will not see Me. And again a little while and you will see Me. And because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that He says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for the joy that comes in knowing that we are going to see Jesus yet again. Father, I thank you that that assurance is just that, an assurance to us, Father. And we need not wait for that moment that we see his face to be joyful. Thank you, Lord, we can have joy even now. I pray that you would help us to take joy in your word even this moment, Father, as we consider it together. Bless our time of fellowship. Help us to know our... Father's love this morning as we gather around your word. We praise you and we thank you and we ask that you bless this time. Be honored and glorified, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, saints, Jesus spoke these words. If you've read this for yourself and other accounts of this uh, this. Well, event, this time, this moment in Jesus' ministry here, you understand when this was, was that last night uh, that the Lord had with his disciples there, his final evening with them before his death. We're going to spend almost our entire time together here this morning in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be bouncing back and forth to each one of these books and do so a number of times. We'll go a couple of different places here and there, but we're going to spend the majority of our time here considering this end, well, this end time frame where the Lord Jesus was there speaking to, uh, speaking to his disciples there. Uh, I don't know about, about you. I don't know what, what parts of Scripture strike your heart or that you tend to meditate on, chew on. This is a passage in Scripture I, I consider often, that time when he spent with his disciples in leading up to his arrest and his being taken away and his being ultimately crucified and then on to be resurrected, certainly. I think about this time, uh, this this specific event when he was there with them in fellowship. I think about the fellowship that he enjoyed with them. Uh, And there's a measure of bittersweetness that's involved there. And I think about that bittersweetness of his knowing what was coming and that very soon. Uh, There was tension involved in these last moments here as 
Well, not only was Judas identified, but he let them know that there was a betrayer among them. So that instantly, <laughs> you know, you know how it is when when you're at a gathering together and and someone can say something, all of a sudden the whole mood changes, right? Sometimes just the arrival of somebody, and you're like, oh, you know, the the mood can change in things. Jesus, you know, they're sitting there in their Passover, and he says, "So someone here is going to betray me." Well, that turned quickly. You know, all of a sudden, perhaps the wind came out of the room. Uh, Each one of them suddenly saying, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? I think of that tension that took place there. I think of the tenderness that was present in that in that moment when when he washed their feet. I think of all the things that he spoke to them. You can look in John chapter 14. If you have a red letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, you can look back the last several pages. You see a lot of red because Jesus spent some time during that evening teaching his disciples, not wasting the moments, but redeeming that time for himself and offering himself uh, and deeper understanding to those ones that were so dear to him. Uh, You know, if I consider this time, and if I look back on this moment, this specific event, and other ones too, but specifically this event, and think of all of the feelings and all of the tensions and all of the different things that were involved there, do you suppose that those disciples thought about that night, thought about that evening, in the days, the months, the years that followed after that? Do you suppose that their own minds went back and they thought to themselves, If only I had done this. Or what would have happened if I had said this. I'm going to be kind of keying in on the potential for regret for those disciples this morning. Now, there is always going to be some measure of speculation that's involved. Because we don't see always exactly the things that I'm going to bring up here. But I think that it's safe to make some inferences there. You can find some things in scripture where it might not precisely say this is what happened here. But you can look and just in knowing who the Lord is, you can say, "Mm, that doesn't. I know how the Lord felt about that because he says elsewhere, perhaps over here. I'm going to consider some things here this morning. I hope that you'll uh, be gracious enough to allow me to do that. And I'm going to speak from personal experience because I have regrets in my life. And I have things that, well, there were times when I wish that I had done something different or said something different. And by the same token, I guess there are times where I wish that I hadn't done something uh, or hadn't said something. I, I could really poke fun at myself right now. And I, just for the sake of my own shame, I won't right now. But... I was thinking uh, on a more somber note, um, a clip came up here recently, a historical clip that I had someplace tucked away. I did taught a lesson or a fire safety education all day long at an elementary school over on the west side of town. I was there by myself. My partner didn't show up. So it was just me there the whole time. And I went in and out of the school a couple of different times throughout the day. It was in May, a nice early or late spring day, but it was warm that day. Went out to my truck a number of times to grab equipment, that sort of thing. Went and got lunch in the truck, came back, and literally, it seems, just a couple of parking spots over, there was a little kid who had been forgotten in his car that day, a little 18-month-old. And later that afternoon, after school had dismissed, it was discovered. And that little kid passed away, and I thought for a little while, it affected me more than I anticipated, But I thought, if only I had just looked in that car 
If only I had just, you know, not looked down at my feet walking out. If only I, I, what could I have done for that one? You know, pop the glass, open the door, something like that. I regret not making a different move on that day. Now, that wasn't something that I chose to do, but it was just one of those things that sticks in the back of your mind and thinks, if only something had gone differently, if only I had been able to do something more, then things might have turned out better. And I can't help but think these ones, when they had choices for themselves, and we read in Scripture as they interacted with the Lord Jesus, and they went about their ministry, and they went about serving Him and being served by Him, I can't help but think that in the days after, they thought to themselves a number of times, I wonder what I might have done differently in that moment, that things might have been different. Now, we know that Judas thought to himself, well, he regretted what he had done. He ultimately hung himself because he regretted. He, he took those 30 pieces of silver back to, well, back to those high priests, back to those ones in the temple. And we know that he cast those down and he wanted to give them back. I sit and think about those other 11. I'm not going to talk about Judas specifically this morning, but I think about those other 11. What would they have tried to give back? What would they have tried to do different? Um, when we were kids, you know, if someone gave you something and they said, ah, I want this, they say, no take backs. <laughs> you know, no take backs. Everyone knows what a take back is. What would those disciples have tried to give back or take back, as it were? And that's what we're going to consider just for a bit this morning and then apply it to our own, well, our own lives, our own considerations, our own spiritual walk. Now, looking over the course of time that these 11 had with the Lord Jesus, I think it's fair to say that they would regret, looking back, they would regret that they hadn't listened to him more than they did and hadn't asked questions when they could have and indeed should have. I don't know if they give pop quizzes. I've come to find out that, that teaching and school looks a little bit different these days than it did in my day. I don't even know if these young people know what a pop quiz is, but you know, we had some sadistic teachers back in my day, and they would sit there and they'd give a whole lecture and they'd do all this, and, and they were looking at me and they knew that I wasn't taking notes and they knew that I wasn't paying attention, and so then they'd say, okay, everyone take out your, everyone take out a piece of paper, we're having a pop quiz over what we just covered right now, and I'd be like, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I wish that I had listened just a little bit better in the moment. Uh, the Lord doesn't throw pop quizzes at us, you understand. He doesn't just sit there and say, hey, I want to, this is a getcha kind of situation. But there were times when he spoke to these ones. And they didn't listen well. And they didn't ask questions well. Well, we just read that just a second ago. I don't have it quite in my notes here. But well, what happened there when some of his disciples, when he said a little while a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. It says some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this he's saying to us? What, what is this? You know, they asked each other, right? They, what's he talking about? There were a number of different times where this took place. When they were perhaps asking each other, what's he talking about? Is he talking about because we didn't bring any food? Instead of perhaps, again, we're going to speculate some. Might it have been better if they said, Jesus what do you mean by this situation? Turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 33. The disciples were caught by surprise by what the Lord Jesus was telling them. And I think that 
Well, plainly, they were caught by surprise on that night that he was arrested and taken from them and crucified on the cross there. Uh, They didn't have to be. Jesus was repetitive in saying what he did to them a number of different times, one place being Mark chapter 10 and verse 33. Tell me how, how fuzzy this is. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus is saying. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now, there it's plain in Scripture that there were certain things that were hidden from these disciples. Oftentimes the Lord will keep things covered to us. But oftentimes that's based on our own well, our own unwillingness to see those things. And the Lord says, well, if you are interested in keeping this hidden, then perhaps it's going to remain so. Regardless, this was an unexpected statement that Jesus had for them. An unpleasant statement. Unwelcome words, I would say. Uh, different people will get a bad health prognosis. And they go to share that bad news to somebody. Have terminal cancer. And three months to live. Oftentimes you'll hear those people that hear that. No, 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 no. That can't can't be so. There's a certain measure of denial that's involved because it's such unwelcome words. It's such unwelcome circumstances that have faced them. Uh, You go through the five stages of grief, right? One of the first ones, I believe, is denial, right? If it's not the first one. Denial, bargaining, and all those things, I'm not going to remember them right off right off the top of my head, but denial. No, this can't be so. No, you've got someone else. People would show up in uniform, World War II, Vietnam, World War I, whatever the case might be. And here they are to give the bad news that their child had been lost or their husband had been lost or or their daughter's been lost in combat. They say, no, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? I've read many accounts where that's exactly how they responded. They will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him, Jesus said. And whether they enunciated it or not, it was, no. Yeah, and well, it was unwelcome to them. In Luke 9, we see that response, how they responded. I told you we were going to stay in all of these Gospels, but we'll bounce back and forth. Stick a bookmark in it if it helps you, but turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 43. Reading down to verse 45, there were times that they were all amazed at the majesty of God, and this is one of those times. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to the disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. Let them move down, and I want them to mean something to you, he says. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying as it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And here's the thing. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They feared asking him. Now listen, you've heard, you've heard the statement said, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I heartily disagree. I've heard lots and lots of stupid questions. You know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not talking at all. Not talking at all about those emails, texts, and those questions that people come up. You know, there are certain times. <laughs> there are certain. I'm going to leave that alone. I can, I'm going to go down. No, no. I'm not talking about those sorts of things. I've asked some stupid questions. I've sat in a number of training scenarios where someone asks a question. And you're like. Really, man? He literally just told us that. What, what are you talking about? 
Uh, there are such things as stupid questions, but some questions are dumber than others. And the dumbest question, the dumbest question is the one that you don't know the answer to, and yet you still didn't ask it, okay? You can ask some dumb questions, but dumber still is when you don't know the answer that you need to know, and you don't ask it anyway. That's the dumbest question. When you just leave it, when you just leave it sitting there, when there was something to be known, uh, I yeah. What do you mean by this betrayal? What do you mean by this death? What do you mean by this rising stuff that you're talking about here, Jesus? That's the question that should have been answered, asked rather. And I, I believe that it would have been answered. I believe that they could have regretted not listening closer, not asking the questions that could have been answered as they looked back on those times that they walked with him, sat with him, particularly on that last evening, and didn't ask him, ask him for clarity. Now, Jesus gave clarity and he gave explanation uh, back there in John in regards to yet a little while. He gave explanation to them. He read, well, he read their questions and he spoke to them, but there were other times when they left something just floating out there and didn't ask. I'll leave that there for the time being and move on to another regret that I think they might have had. I think that they regretted making empty promises. Everyone's familiar with Peter's denial of Jesus. You're familiar with that time when he said, I don't know him. Uh, Weren't you with him? I don't know him. I'm sure I saw you. And he swore with an oath that he did not know the man. I believe that all of these ones regretted such things. Uh, If you look in Matthew chapter 26, you're familiar with Peter's denial of Jesus. You're probably also familiar that Jesus foretold that denial, told Peter himself on that final day that he would do just that. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, foretold, prophesied, Not just me telling you this, this is from of old. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Most people remember Peter's denial, that he did go on and deny him three times. Most people well, remember that Jesus foretold that. Most people forget that Peter was not alone in this statement. So said all the disciples. They all said this. And perhaps they didn't just say, I'll never deny you. But they were there when Peter said, we won't be scattered. We won't be stumbled. They all said this. They were all with him in this. Peter denied him clearly three times. We understand that he broke this promise. He didn't say, I promise I won't do this. You know, we used to, as kids, that's just what we used to, we used to do. You know, I'm going to do this. Do you promise? If you didn't say you promised, that negated any obligation to you. Whatsoever, You know, you had people crossing fingers and all that kind of stuff. I could, I could assure everything and anything I wanted to. But I was absolved of that obligation if I didn't say, I promise I'm going to do this. Uh, it's just one of those kid rules. Uh, he didn't promise here. 
He didn't say, I promise you that I won't. But his word was his word. I've heard different dads tell their kids, my word is my bond. There you go. His word was his word. This is what he had assured Jesus. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And he denied him clearly three times and he broke that promise. And the others might not have said as much as that. I deny him. I deny him. I deny him. But that word denied there means separated connection from. Disowned. Abstained from. It has a number of different meanings, but it means to separate from. Even if just for a moment. Look in Mark chapter 14 and verse 48. Back in the garden. Mark chapter 14 and verse 48. When that mob came to... uh, to that garden to take Jesus, to arrest him. What happened in Mark 14, verse 48? And Jesus answered and said to the mob, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching. You did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then what happened in verse 50? Then they all forsook him. They all forsook him and fled. That word forsook, it's translated a number of different ways in the New Testament, but one of them that I thought was interesting is divorced. They divorced him. That's denying, saints. That is denying. You are not my wife anymore. That's what divorce is. That's what you are seeking. And so in that moment, even if just momentarily, they didn't say, I do not know, boom, they were gone. And they let their actions speak as louder, louder. Than words. Saints, you know it, man. You know that those ones afterward, afterward, particularly in those three days, those three days when, you know, Jesus went into the tomb and he hadn't come up yet, you know, in the middle of their suffering and in the middle of their mourning, they thought to themselves, we bailed, we, we ran, we left him to that. I believe without question they regretted it. I believe if given to do it over again, well, they would have liked to have stood with him or at least taken back those promises that they made with Peter on that, well, on that evening. Leaving that regret to another. <clears throat> I think they regretted falling asleep on him. Uh, you guys might do what the Gravits do from time to time and have family movie night. Uh, you know, as, as we get older, as the kids have jobs, uh, Jaden's been house-sitting for someone for the last three days. I haven't seen her hardly at all. Judah broke his arm, so he's at home way too much now. He hasn't been able to work. But given what he usually does, he's typically gone. So family movie night's kind of a thing of the past, except on rare occasions. So, you know, we say, uh, we're interested in watching this show or watching this movie or something like that. Are you interested? Yeah, I'm interested. Don't watch it without me. Mom? Yes, I want to watch this. Don't, don't watch this without me. You know what's coming, right? Everyone's gathered together. You got your peanut butter cup over here. You got your M&Ms. You got whatever. You, you queue it up. It's a Monday night, Tuesday night. No church, no anything, no obligations or anything of that sort. You sit down. Man, the credits start to roll up. Here it is. The music starts to play. A mom's out. You know, she's over and she's <laughs> unconscious. You know, it's one of those things. And, and, you know, you've prepared for this and you've set up for this and, and you want to enjoy this. And there's, well, at this point, it's just kind of a, Oh, it's just kind of a family thing. We just enjoy it. We don't care if someone sleeps through it. But, you know, when you're excited to watch something with somebody, right? You're, 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 come on, you, you slept through this. Uh, it's a silly analogy, but you know that 
Well, that same kind of concept is true, obviously. Obviously, on a much wider, much deeper, much stronger, uh, much more somber and sobering uh, plane, you might say. On that night, Mark 14 and verse 32. I think they regretted falling asleep on him. They came to that place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, those three that, well, they accompanied him on a number of different, rather, uh, dare I say, special events. The transfiguration, the raising from the dead of a young girl. Peter, James, and John saw some things. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed after he took them with him a bit further into the garden. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was ahead of him. Not just these ones coming to take him. Not just the arrest. And I'll even go on and say not just the pain. Not just the suffering. Not just the nails and hands and feet. You know he was anticipating bearing the weight of the entire world. And that sin to come upon him. You know he was anticipating a separation between himself and his father for a time. You know that he was anticipating being made sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There was that anxiety that was there, that measure of burden and stress that was upon him. Stay here and watch. I know what's coming. They didn't stay there and watch, of course. He went farther, poured out his heart before the Lord in verse 37. He came and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? He went back, prayed some more, came back, found them sleeping. Went back and prayed some more, came back again and found them sleeping. Three times he found them so. And that last time that he found them. We can read in verse 43, but we won't. Oh, I will read it immediately when he found them that third time. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They didn't have time to say in that moment, Ah, sorry, Lord. Sorry about that. <laughs> Three times. Yeah, that's, that's beyond... That's beyond uh, well, let me just say it this way. It's embarrassing, right? It would be embarrassing if you just get right down to human nature and human feelings and human emotion. You know, I'm, I'm 46 years old. 46 years old, and when I mess up and it's brought before me, I can still feel 10 very, very quickly. I can feel 10, and it just is what it is. It's why, it's why when you feel that, well, it's why people don't want to be told they're wrong so often, because you do feel... Well, this tall, you feel like you should be past something. You should be mature about something. Uh, I felt like I made an error last week, and I went to give an apology this morning. I don't like feel. I don't like feeling like I did something and it's been undealt with, un unaddressed. These ones, Jesus found them three times not doing what he had asked them to do, and before on that third time when embarrassment and shame and all of that sort of thing might have already been there, but now, now the mob is coming. These ones that are coming while Jesus is still talking before they could say anything. Here they come and they take Him. No, no time for apologies. No time to express their remorse or, or, or say their sorries or any of those things that just human decency dictates that we would do. 
in just a regular course of, of interaction with people, much less when we've disappointed the Son of God. And so there they are, dealing with that. You suppose that that might have sat with them for a time, that they might have regretted and thought, oh, if only I could have come back and at least said I was sorry. No, no, let's go back farther still. And I would have stayed awake with him. I'd have prayed with him. I would have borne up with him. Whatever the case might be, I think they would have regretted not staying awake. I think it would have hurt to remember that. What might they have done differently with all of those things? I mean, there are a number of things. We could spend a great deal of time looking at all the different things that they messed up. You know, part of preaching, that's exactly what we do. How did so-and-so mess up? Let's see that we don't do this. How did Samson, what did Samson mess up in? Oh, man, look, Samson really, man, he just jacked up a whole lot of different things here. Don't be like Samson. So often that's what it feels like preaching is. And I, I don't like just distilling it down to just don't be like so-and-so, don't be like so-and-so, don't be like so-and-so. Before I go any farther, let me make plain these were men of God who, you know, put themselves into harm's way so that they might walk with Jesus, so that they might serve Jesus. There are a number of things that these men did remarkably, dedicatedly, uh, completely devoted to him to the measure that, well, to perhaps not completely, but devoted to him to a measure that so many weren't willing to be. There's a reason why Jesus called these ones. He knew their faith and he knew what he could do in them and through them and he knew what, well, who they were. So I'm grateful for this. But the fact that they, well, that they would have done some things differently. And it's good to consider that so that we might do things differently. I would have done that differently, you know, if I could, if I could go back. You, you know, there are a number of different things that are presented in Scripture. There are a number of different things that aren't presented there. You know that these people, these guys, well, they probably spoke, to, you know, they probably got on each other's nerves. You, spoke they, you suppose that they said things to each other, if not to Jesus, hastily? Maybe got short with each other from time to time? Why didn't you go? You know, we can do that, right? We see each other four times a week, some of us. You've been short with me before. A number of you have said certain things to me or, or come across, good morning or hello, and you, know, you don't, don't get a response. I'll just, I'm human. Uh, maybe they didn't hear me. Or maybe they're just a jerk. <laughs> no, no. I, I, don't think, I don't think maybe they're just a jerk. But the flesh can get involved, right? Hi, hi, how are you? And you don't hear, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You give them grace and that sort of thing. But sometimes, sometimes just in passing, in human relationships, man, you can just get a little bit irritated. I imagine there were times when they were short with each other, acted kind of hastily, acted kind of selfishly, impatiently. Maybe they, well, maybe there were actions that they took, things that they said because they doubted the things that Jesus said or had impatience with different things. There are a lot of things that are present here. I believe that if they had listened, asked the questions, not made or perhaps kept the promises that they did make, stayed awake and were vigilant with Him, if they had done differently, well, I can't tell what might have happened, but I think that there would have been that desire. What might have happened if they 
if they had done those things? What might have happened if they could go back and change those things? Let's go back to our text for one more regrettable event. They're in John chapter 16. One more event that would have been regrettable. Uh, In verses 17 and 18, once again, they asked each other the questions there. When the Lord gave them a statement that they didn't understand, they, they were looking at each other in verses 17 and 18. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, and your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus knew how they were going to feel. Jesus knew what the emotions were going to come. Jesus knew all men. We know this. John told us that. Jesus knew the hearts. He could see the minds. He could see all of those things. He knew what was awaiting these ones. He knew the emotions and the turmoil that was going to be upon them when all of these things started to set in motion. You know, I I can't help but think that they were, sure, they were tired in the garden, but I think that they were more relaxed than they should have been probably. Just more relaxed. Didn't recognize, and something is on the horizon here. Something that would raise the old adrenaline in your body. Raise your... All your fight or flight response. Activate that sympathetic nervous system. I believe that something was dismissed on their, on their heart. And they were capable of sleeping while Jesus was sweating great drops of blood, as it were. Uh, they were missing it. Jesus knew what was going to come when they were shocked by this mob, shocked by this violence, shocked by his death, his trial, all of these things. He knew that they would wallow together in their grief and wallow together in their mourning in the time to come. Mark chapter 16. We can look at the morning of his resurrection and we see that they were doing just that, right? Mark chapter 16 and verse 10. This being when Mary had been to the tomb, saw that it was empty. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. That lamenting was substantial in that moment. The mourning was substantial. The weeping was substantial. I believe that while it perhaps doesn't say that, the regret there was substantial. It led to and contributed to their lamenting. Jesus hit the nail on the head. He knew that they were going to be mourning. He knew that there would be joy amongst the world in in that time and that well while the world was rejoicing they were going to be suffering he also knew that it wouldn't last back in our text in john 16 verse 22 said therefore you now have sorrow but i will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you almost a throwaway verse but it's not don't hey man you're going to have sorrow and whether regrets a part of it or not uh, your heart's going to rejoice And no one will take that joy from you. Jesus got that right. Luke 24. The same day, the same day that Mary came, they were together in one place in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you with your mourning, with your suffering, with your grief, with your worry peace to you but they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled 
And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But, but while they still did not believe for joy, they were so happy, they're like, this, no, there's the denial again, no, except this time, rather than it being terror and panic and the like, they, didn't, they just were staggered in joy. While they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? <laughs> I always enjoyed that part, just taken by itself outside of context, outside of understanding that at least in part, part of the reason why he did that was to demonstrate he had a glorified body to show them he wasn't just some spirit, some ghost and that sort of thing. I'm going to sit and eat right in front of you. But it's entertaining and amusing to a certain measure. Do you have any food here? There was joy in his presence there just as surely as he said that there would be. Forty days later, Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, if you step down the page, Forty days later, the joy was continuing there. He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now I told you I was going to give you something else that they would have regretted. What's regrettable about all this? What's regrettable about, well, about this part of them having joy just as the Lord Jesus said that they were? I mentioned from time to time what might have been. You know, I've said it from the pulpit at least a couple times I know. What might have been if they had done something different, if they had, been, had heard the Lord Jesus' word, knew what was going on, and had been camped out in the front of the tomb on the third day, and were there to welcome him when he stepped out. Yeah, I think about that from time to time. And again, I've, I've mentioned that. What, what might have been if they would have allowed themselves to be arrested with him in that, in that moment in, in the garden? What might have been? I'm going to put those things away. I don't know that I'll mention it again, but I'm just going to put those things away for this lesson anyway because it goes back farther than that. I don't even know if there would have been any benefit for them to be there. I don't know. That's a speculation that I probably shouldn't be making anymore. I'm just going to leave those there, but I will tell you what I would regret and what I'm confident that they might have regretted in that time. I believe that they regretted losing three days to mourning the Lord Jesus while he was in that tomb. Whether they were there in front of, could have been in front and, and, and camped out with those soldiers that were set there to seal the tomb and to guard the tomb or arrested, whatever the case might be. They lost three days to mourning, to grief, that they didn't have to lose. That they didn't have to suffer. They didn't have to be holed together up in some place together. They didn't have to be worried looking over their shoulder. They didn't have to wonder. They didn't have to. They lost three days to mourning the Lord Jesus. They didn't have to experience that. Yes, I recognize the reality of trauma. Of seeing things and being traumatized by certain things. I praise the Lord. I had a 20 year career where I saw things that were horrifying horrifying to remember and every now and then things will pop back up and I think to myself where did that come from I have not thought about that situation for some time and I'm glad that I don't think about those things and I praise the Lord and I'm confident that it was my peace that I have found in him that he protected me from being impacted more by those things than they could have been I've always trusted the Lord to do what was right in those things and to help me in those things but man we say it oftentimes don't we what would I do without the Lord 
I don't know how those guys and girls who fight in the military, who, well, who do any number of different things, where they see the disparity and the horror and the things that people can do to one another and just see trauma all the time. We understand, we can understand why people say, I've been traumatized by certain things. There was a measure of trauma that could just be expected by watching any man get nailed to a piece of wood, okay? I don't care if that was the regular thing back then. There's a measure of trauma that takes place now. When it's someone that you love, it's going to be traumatizing. It's, it just is what it is. We are flesh. There would have been horror. There would have been suffering in watching Jesus suffer in that time. The pain that he had to endure, that they would have watched him endure, would have been traumatic. But saints, when he breathed his last breath, and when he said, it is finished, there could have been peace for those eleven. There could have been joy for those eleven. I'm ashamed to make this comparison, but you all know I used to mention before Mabel, I used to mention Gunner a whole lot big stupid bull mastiff that we had seven years old he had four bad knees a bad back he barely could get up and walk 145 pounds he looked awesome if he was standing still but man he was a wreck i had to lift him in and out of vehicles and all that kind of stuff and this sounds dumb to make the analogy but when we took him and put him down and when he he, he breathed his last breath and relaxed man we were so happy we, we were overjoyed. I loved that stupid dog. Loved that dog. And I was so joyful to see him not hurting anymore. We don't euthanize Jesus, but there was a moment when he breathed his last. The hourglass was flipped over, right? The hourglass was flipped, and that's when they had the opportunity to go. Just three days. Just three days. Peace. Oh, get ready. Three days. The clock had started. All they had to do was wait three days. If they'd listened to him a little bit more carefully, if they'd asked the questions, if they'd held off those promises or just kept the promises that they'd made to him, stayed awake with him in those last moments and believed that it was just three days, that could have been a joyful three days. No morning. It was done, those three days, and that is regrettable to consider that they lost three days to that. And I'm confident that they could have looked back and said, man, we could have been celebrating those three days and counting down the moments. And not a soul could have taken their joy from them before he arrived in the midst of them on that morning. Saints, I think that we're in a similar position to Jesus' disciples, aren't we? Now, the Lord has told us all through Scripture a number of different things that we might, well, and not just in Scripture, in our own lives and, and what He has allowed to come before us. A lot of different things that are fearful to us, a lot of different things that are difficult to us, a lot of different things that are uncomfortable, maybe are confusing to us at times. We might even look at things and think that is an impossible circumstance. He's told us a lot of things in Scripture that we can look at and say, how? How can this be so? 
Among those things, and I'll just give you three scriptures here. Revelation 3.11 Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelation 22.7 Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22.12 Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Among the things that are difficult for us to understand sometimes, and among the things that are difficult for us to receive sometimes, is that Jesus is returning. Now, that's something that, well, it's rather cliche to us, isn't it? Jesus is coming back. Yep, I know. Where are we going for lunch after service? (laughs) Jesus is coming back. I know, I know, man. I got to get that bill. I got to get the mortgage paid. Jesus is coming back. I have to get ready for this and that. Yes, we 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 have this behind in the back of our mind. Jesus is coming, and He's coming quickly. Saints, Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back, and when He comes, it's going to be quick. Right? I'm coming quickly. He is returning, no less surely than when he told his disciples, I'm going to be scourged, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be put to death, and on three days, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Just as surely, just as surely, we're going to see him again. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, he said to them. In that text, verse 22, and your joy no one will take from you. Jesus is coming back in just... (laughs) No. No, He's not coming back in just three days. It might be sooner than that. It might be sooner than that. Do you understand? It might not be till after the youngest of us here is gone. And generations are passed. And you see little rocket ships circling around the earth here. You know, and that's how we commute back and forth. Who knows? It might not be till way then, but I might not make it to the end of this sermon today. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when it's going to be. But I can tell you this. We need not repeat the regrettable things that the disciples are teaching us even in Scripture right now. We need not repeat those things. We can listen to the Lord. We can listen to Him. We can ask Him questions in those things that we don't understand. Really, you're coming back, Lord? Yes. (laughs) Look at everything that I have said in here. Really, you think that I can deal with this struggle, with this situation here? Yes. Yes, you can. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for you. I can go through all of these different things that we know. We can ask questions. We can leave off empty promises and gestures to Him. Instead, just simply following Him by faith. And receiving His promises to us. We can stay awake with Him and not become sleepy. And we can rejoice in knowing that Jesus is coming. We don't see Him. And it's not necessarily just three days. But our life is just a vapor. Whether He comes before then or this vapor of mine is cast off. Passed just like that. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day to the Lord. My life is just a breath. Whether he comes or whether he calls me up, I'm going to see him. And soon, I'm not letting anyone take my joy from me. 
I may look like I'm suffering, <laughs> suffering up here. This is my joy. I'm not letting anyone take my joy from me. First Peter 1, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing... You don't do what is regrettable and forget about Him. You don't do what's regrettable and mourn and become discouraged and despair in the things that are brought our way. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, unspeakable, and full of glory. And despite what anything, anyone, even this mind of our own might try, do not allow that joy to be removed from you. You live in that joy. You walk in that joy. You act in that joy, looking for His appearing and loving His appearing. John was one of those twelve. He wrote the book that we're reading out of. By the time he wrote Revelation, I believe that he determined to himself he wasn't going to live regrettably anymore. He wasn't going to be regrettably mourning anything. He says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. There at the end of it, well, at the end of the entire book. And we can join him unregretfully, unregrettably, absolutely dedicatedly to the Lord. We can join him and say, Amen. Even so, joyfully, rejoicingly, come, Lord Jesus. Saints, we can live in this joy unregrettably. He is coming back. And that right soon.